Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you're socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist life coach, and you've got episode number 42. Hello, hello, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with my colleague, Natasha Pennycook. She's a psychotherapist who is doing amazing work and helping so many people in the process. I wanted to have her on the podcast today to talk about self-advocacy, both from a medical perspective and a workplace perspective. This was such a good conversation. There were so many important pieces of information and advice that she offered, especially for racialized folks. In this episode, we talk about issues and common themes that can come up for people when they're advocating for themselves in a medical context or in the workplace how to prepare for a medical appointment to get the outcome you're looking for, what to do if you feel your doctor isn't giving you what you need, how to navigate perimenopause in the workplace through the lens of different intersecting identities, finding community, owning your worth, and so much more. Before I share my conversation with Natasha, I want to offer her professional bio. Not only is Natasha a mom, wife, and lover of popcorn, but she's also an award-winning psychotherapist, keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and corporate consultant. She is the clinical director of Natasha Pennycook Therapy, where her team of expert psychotherapists are changing the face of therapy and mental health on a global scale. Natasha's team works from an anti-oppressive, healing-focused, trauma-informed, anti-racism lens and social justice framework. She is currently offering corporate leadership and organizational workshops on workplace mental wellness, inclusion, and belongingness, creating an anti-racist environment, and supporting leadership equity. Natasha has volunteered with a number of community organizations in the greater Toronto area and is the current recipient of the Buy Blacks People Choice Award for Best Canadian Counselor of 2020 and was also nominated again for the 2021 award. So without further delay, here is my interview with Natasha. All right. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation. Me too. Just to give people a little bit of a background, we are both part of a local group of entrepreneurs who also identify as mothers. And that's how we met because we're in this small group. And I saw Natasha's work and I just thought, this is so important and amazing. And thank goodness you're doing the work that you're doing. And I wanted to have you come and record an episode with me so we can talk about self-advocacy. But before we get into talking about that, can you please tell us a little bit about how you help people? Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And you know, it's so amazing that we did have this opportunity to meet within the small group here in the Toronto area, even though online. But I mean, you know, it's great to be able to reach out and connect with other people so we can have these conversations so we can educate both of our communities. So a lot of the work that I do, so for everyone out there, um, our audience is listening. I am Natasha Pennycook. I am a registered psychotherapist in the Ontario, Toronto area. I also do a lot of work around anti-racism, around workplace oppression. I do a lot of speaking and going into different organizations to help organizations with their mental health strategy from a DEI lens, like diversity, equity, inclusion, belongingness, 
workplace safety lens. And in this work that I do, it's really important to recognize that there are intersectionalities that we come with that, that depending on what other people understand or may not understand and that this does have an impact on who we are, which includes our mental health. So a lot of the work that I do is centered around mental health, around anti-racism work. And with that, I have a clinic. So I do a lot of clinical work with my team at Natasha Pentagon Psychotherapy. We have a team of psychotherapists to work with individuals one-on-one. And then for myself, I do the summer coaching as well as workplace wellness workshops. So good. So first, thank you for taking time out of your clearly busy schedule to come and chat with us today. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, of course. I want to make sure that we talk specifically about advocacy, self-advocacy, and medical advocacy from the perspective of being in a racialized identity. But for a second, I want to zoom out first and just talk about advocacy in general. So if we talk about advocacy, both in the medical context and just advocating for self with the people in your life or the or maybe in your workplace, and specifically people who experience perimenopause. And of course, this is a huge topic, but I'd love to start out with asking you about some of the most common things you see getting in the way for folks being able to advocate for themselves in this transition. Yeah, no, great question. And I, I love that we're having this conversation on this topic because, you know, advocacy is so important. So many of the clients that I work with are struggling, whether it is from a personal lens or workplace lens. But a lot of times what happens is we're not taught how to advocate for ourselves, especially as a racialized individual. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am a Black woman. I identify as a Black woman. For a lot of racialized folks, it becomes really hard to advocate for self because of the world that we live in. There is this idea of um, a lot of times racialized people um, not being able to find care of individuals who may look like them or look like us and to understand our unique um, lived experiences. And when I say unique, I can mean cultural or racial or ethnic or religious background. So, you know, advocacy becomes very, very challenging. There is a piece around safety there as well. It's how safe do I feel walking into a room and being able to be my true, full and authentic self. And part of that means saying, hey, I need help with certain things and feeling like, okay, when I say I need help, that's going to land very well to the person that I'm asking for help with. And then I can trust that that person can help me. So when we talk about advocacy, there are these multiple layers that play within advocacy. As I mentioned, the safety, the trust, um, feeling that sense of belonging, feeling that I'm going to be seen and heard. So there's all of these different things that play into the advocacy conversation. So part of advocacy that I think is really important to mention is when I go in and ask for help, when I get to the place to say, okay, I'm, I'm good, I can ask for help. How is that professional, whether it's a medical professional, whether it's a coach, how is that going to land for them? And are they going to person who is deserving of help? Or are there maybe stereotypes that will, will play into that person's mind thinking that, okay, um, this person may need help, but the stereotypes that I understand about a certain group that they may not need help. 
And I say this specifically as a Black woman, because there are a lot of stereotypes about Black women being strong, being able to take maybe more pain and things like that, which gets in the way of someone advocating for themselves, especially during a time of perimenopause, where it's like, you know, I'm not feeling okay. My hormones may be out of whack. Um, I may be feeling more depressed. I may be feeling uh, vaginal dryness, all these different things that may come up. And if a person is coming from a lens where they're focusing on their, their stereotypes, they that might hinder them from giving the care that this person who's advocating for themselves so deserves. So important to draw awareness to that. And I think that it's a conversation that we should all be having regardless of how our, how we identify or what our backgrounds are. And just so we can support each other and lift each other up. So let's move into medical advocacy specifically just for a second. So let's say we're talking about a racialized person who is having some issues that are just coming up. Let's say they're perimenopausal in nature. Maybe they're hot flashes or insomnia or something else medical that they want to go and see their doctor for. So how can somebody prepare for an interaction like that? What would you suggest to them to even show up to the meeting and go from there? Yeah, I think, you know, the best way to show up is to listen to the person that's in front of you. And also be aware of the biases that you may have that may prevent you from fully listening. And when I say listening, it's, you know, there's the hearing what the person is saying, but also being able to understand the various factors in this person's life and how it's impacting that individual. So if a person is coming up saying, you know what, I am getting these hot flashes where they are interrupting my my sleep, being able to understand how that is impacting that individual. And I think, you know, if individuals in the medical profession can actually see the clients in front of them, the patients in front of them, and being able to understand who is there, who is coming, as opposed to the generalized checklists that a lot of us within within a clinical setting have, then it can open up some doors to understand who is this individual in front of me? What are they coming with? I'm now being able to hear that the hot flashes and sleep are impacting their life in this way. And also maybe being able to understand how have you been coping with this? Because a lot of times people are coping with things in their various ways, and it could be coping that is positive to this person or hindering this person. So really understand what they're coming with and how they have been coping with whatever the ailment has been so far in their life. Amazing advice. Thank you. And then just to flip it on its head a little bit, if you were talking to the patient themselves, so let's say there was a person, an individual who was having these symptoms and they were preparing to go into a medical appointment asking for help, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that a lot from the clients that I work with one-on-one. So I always let individuals know, go with a list of questions, right? Prepare in advance. A lot of times we have nervousness or anxieties that pop up when we're in person, which, you know, we're trying to navigate the space we're going into. We're trying to navigate the questions that we may have. Be prepared. Have a list of questions, uh, maybe even breaking down questions. I'm asking this question because I have these symptoms. So I want to know this. Have that list of questions prepared. Know the questions you want to ask and go in to the appointment and say, you know what? I do have a list of questions 
that I would like answered um, and put that out in the forefront so that the, the doctor that you're seeing knows that, okay, this person is prepared, has a list of questions. I want to be able to make time to be able to help this person that's in front of me. So I definitely say go in prepared, have the list of questions. If you can, take someone with you. It's always easier to advocate when you have someone with you. Uh, share the questions that you have with this person. Let them know that these are the questions that I have. You know, I want your support in coming into this appointment. Maybe I want you to... Um, Give your perspective on what you hear so you can remind me and, and advocate for me in that way. Maybe I want you to um, talk about these are the questions that we want answered, but have someone with you and have someone with you that you feel comfortable disclosing personal information with. I can't stress how important that is. I, I know I work with a lot of people who they want individuals to support them, but really it's not the correct individual for that appointment or for that thing that they need support with. So I'm big on saying, okay, let's work on advocacy, but also advocating for self. And part of advocating for self is who do I have in my corner that can help me with this specific thing that I'm going in for? Those are two really important things. I love that so much. And I didn't even think of this suggestion of, yeah, you could bring somebody with you. Because of course, if you're in that moment, a lot of anxiety and emotions can kind of cloud our ability to communicate correctly or not correctly, but um, in a way that is conducive to success in the situation and getting the outcome that you're looking for. And so having a person there who actually isn't involved at all in the transaction and the conversation, that can be really helpful to just bring things back to center. Exactly. Exactly. So let's say that somebody ends up in a situation where maybe they're talking with a medical professional and they get the sense that I'm not getting the care that I need because I'm a racialized person. And this dynamic with this medical professional just isn't going in a direction that I want it to go. What advice do you have for those folks? Yeah, that's a really great one as well. I think, you know, everyone listening needs to know that if things are not working out well for a medical professional, it's okay to get a second opinion, right? A lot of times we're taught that, you know, the medical professionals, that they're the ones that are making the decisions and the diagnoses and things like that. And they are the professional that has all the answers. One important piece of advocacy is being able to know that, you know what, if I'm not enjoying the care that I'm getting here for whatever reasons, I can go elsewhere. Now, especially depending on where you're listening from and what your medical system is, that may come with a certain barrier. So I do want to put that out there as a reality. But at the same time, it's being able to start building a community of individuals who you can identify with. And this can be identified where, you know, we're both in our 40s going through perimenopause or we're both racialized folks or we're both um, individuals who are entrepreneurs. Find something that you can identify with and start building a community where you can start having comfortable conversations, Com conversations that may be uncomfortable, but in order for you to have a comfortable outcome in your advocacy journey, being able to build a community so you can ask questions. So one of the great things about having a community can be, you know what, I went to this doctor, they were telling me this, I don't really feel comfortable with this person. I'm really looking for someone else for a second opinion. Do you know of anyone, right? Having those conversations where someone might be, you know what, I don't know, but another friend of mine was telling me they recently had a doctor and they had a fabulous experience. Let me get that contact for you, 
right? And these are different ways that we can help ourselves to advocate for ourselves by building that community, by finding a healthcare team that really fits for the needs that we have. Such good advice. Thank you. And so just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, I think first base one is just recognizing that you have the right to seek a second opinion. That's such an important message that I try to impart to all of my listeners all the time. I think that just coming from the perspective of people who are socialized as women in general, we're often taught that in order to be a good human, in order to be worthy, we have to be small and polite and take care of other people's needs and not inconvenience people and not offend people. And that should be our main consideration. And so in a medical context, I often hear women saying, well, I don't want to bother my doctor or it's not bad enough or I'm just going to tolerate it because I don't want to offend them. And I can imagine that perhaps those thoughts and feelings might be amplified if you're a racialized person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know what? There's this thing that I've been saying to a lot of one-on-one clients and coaching clients I've been working with. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. Now, we as women, we have been taught to be nice to not to rock the boat, shake feathers, that if someone, especially someone in quote-unquote authority or a professional lens, say something, then we have to be nice and take that. But what that often does, it means that we're not being kind to ourselves. And that piece around kindness is, what do I need right now to make sure that I am set up for success, as opposed that I'm set up for for not success or for failure. So we want to make sure that we're being kind to self to set self up for the best possible outcome. And if the best possible outcome might be going somewhere else for our medical care, then that may not be nice to the medical care provider, but it is kind to self. So I do want to make that distinction for everyone listening. That's really important. Thank you so much for highlighting that. I feel like that was just one of these amazing juicy nuggets that I <laughs> were getting out of the episode. That's perfect. And then the second part that you talked about just then was creating that community, which is, I think, something that we gravitate towards kind of organically as people. We want to be around people who get us, who understand us, who look like us and think like us. I mean, that's a very human thing, but we can kind of get away from that a little bit in our modern context in the way that we exist in society right now. And so finding those communities are so important. And that's how I, that's what I talk to a lot of my clinical patients about, especially those folks who are in identities that I don't identify with. So for example, if I have a fat woman come in seeking care, and actually I'm thinking about an example of a patient that I had last month, and she was coming in and she was having heart palpitations and major anxiety. And she was referred to a cardiologist who basically said, well, come back and see me after you've lost weight. And I said to her, well, that's not acceptable. You have a real medical condition that you're wanting to deal with, but you're probably not going to get what you're looking for from this provider. So I encouraged her to seek out communities online that are local of people who are doing anti-fat bias work, who are looking at creating communities where they can gather resources for people who are needing that kind of care. And I'd imagine that there's a lot of amazing people out there that are creating communities to provide resources like this to people. Right. And you know, that's a great example, because that's also an example of the biases that this medical professional holds, right? And, and biases may not only be 
towards individuals who are racialized, but any marginalized community, such as someone who may be considered, you know, to have a high BMI or something like that, it's it's recognizing that, you know, these beliefs that medical professionals have or can have often pulls them away from actually understanding the person in front of them. So this individual who was saying, you know, I'm having these heart palpitations and anxiety, that was automatically attributed to weight as opposed to maybe other factors in their life that is causing maybe um, a connection between the mental and the physical, right? So it's really, really important to find communities that understand where you're coming from, that you gravitate towards, as you said, where you feel a sense of belonging. Because whenever there's a sense of belonging, there's a sense of safety. And when there, whenever there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of trust. And that means I'm, I'm free to open up to be vulnerable. So good. And uh, just to specifically talk about some perimenopause uh, resources for racialized people, I want to mention two folks. Um, one is this woman on Instagram and her handle is the Black Girl's Guide to Menopause. And she's absolutely amazing. And I highly recommend following her. I will put that link in the show notes. And then also Samantha Mompetuhin, who is a trainer and a coach for women who are going through perimenopause. And I'll make sure that I link her stuff in the show notes as well. So just to mention two specific resources that might be helpful. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It's really important to have these resources because sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't know where to start. So I think these resources are excellent as a good starting place. Yeah. And then of course, people will want to come and find you and work with you as well if they're wanting individual therapy. Yes, of course. So next, I want to move into talking a little bit about just general advocacy from people in your life. And so one example that comes up pretty commonly when I'm talking with coaching clients is advocating for themselves in the workplace. I had a conversation with uh, Shauna Samuel, who's an executive coach a couple of weeks ago, and that episode's coming out soon. But we talked about how there's this phenomenon that can happen for people socialized as women in corporate culture, where they come up to this change in their life, and then they stop I get not, I don't want to say stop, but they kind of get this decline in their ability to identify as somebody worthy and who has somebody or has something to offer. And there's also conversely this attitude that can come up in corporate culture towards people who are, you know, in that stage or a little bit older. So, what do you see coming up for your clients, for people who are at this time in the workplace? Yeah, no, great question. You know, the workplace and navigating the workplace for um, female-identified folks can be challenging because there's a lot of times we're not seen at, we don't see ourselves represented at higher corporate levels or at the tables or in the leadership where a lot of the clients that both you and I are working with are, are navigating those spaces, especially high-achieving folks. So being in those spaces can be challenging because ultimately there's a lot of male patriarchy that dominates in those in, in those rooms and at that, those levels so a lot of the advocacy there can be around again finding a mentor someone within the workspace who you can be comfortable to talk about what your next steps in your career goals are right a lot of times these are things that don't want to be shared because there's worry about okay if someone sees me going there, they may see me as competition and things like that. And, you know, I'm saying that and I know it's very real out there. So I definitely recognize that. 
And while it is real, it's being able to be strategic and who and whom you're speaking with to be able to climb a corporate ladder or to get the next step of being an entrepreneur, a CEO in your own business. You know, um, again, this is where having community is going to be important. Again, to be able to connect with individuals who have been there or who are navigating those spaces because there can be things that can be shared, right? Things where it's like, oh, I'm going into this meeting where I have to speak with this person. And it can be like, oh, you know what? I had a similar meeting the other day. These are some of the things that I that I did that I wish I did not do, or these are some of the things that I learned that I could definitely uh, part that information on you. So advocacy in those upper echelon in the in the workplace can be very tricky and challenging, but it's also around finding individuals that you do feel comfortable with to be able to help you to navigate, as well as understanding what your speciality is. A lot of times we are not taught, as you mentioned, to know our worth and to own our worth. And that can be very tricky and challenging, but definitely owning that worth, knowing the the greatness that you have, the information that you can share, the skill set that you have, and how that is a lot of times very different from other people who are around you, where you can, where you may be able to share that where other people may not be able to. I love this. I'm over here just smiling ear to ear because I'm <laughs> we're having this amazing full circle moment where I'm like, yeah, the uh the topics of conversation today and the advice is definitely around knowing your worth and maybe not being concerned about being nice and also finding your community. So important. It is. So before we sign off here, I'm going to ask you to tell us all about how people can find you and work with you. But are there any resources that you'd like to mention before we get into that for people who might be coming up against medical advocacy issues or maybe finding their place in the work or yeah, finding their place in the workplace? Yeah. What resources do you have to offer? A lot of the individuals who reach out, especially for workplace, because I do a lot of workplace wellness workshops, I have these kind of two branches where there's some people who want awareness, which is fantastic. And there's some people who want the change. Now, I do both where I can come into an organization, especially from a workplace standpoint, right? Where there is a lot of, I guess, intermingling. I was trying to look for the right word to intermingling between our mental health and other areas of inclusivity where being able to come in and have those conversations with the workplace and talk about workplace safety, workplace belongingness, workplace mental health. I think a lot of times what we've seen, especially over the last number of years, that we are in a big mental health crisis and that is impacting our employees, our contractors and things like that. But also knowing that if these individuals, our employees, our frontline people who are doing the work, if they're not well, then productivity is going to go down. So really, I've been encouraging workplaces to reach out, whether it is that you need help building awareness and or you are ready for those bigger pieces of change, definitely reach out because your employees deserve the help and the support. Amazing. And just to um, ask one more thing, if somebody is an employee in an organization and they're wanting to suggest to their employer that they participate in something like this, are they able to reach out to you as well? Most definitely. I've actually had a situation like that not too long ago, just about a month ago, where an employee 
spoke with their director and I got in a Zoom call with both of them. And the employee was very comfortable to say why this is needed and was able to let the director know these are the reasons why I think, you know, having Natasha to come in would be a great idea. So yes, you're definitely able to reach out, go to my website, natashapenfield.com, go to contacts. There are different links there where you can fill out the information and my team will get back to you. We could, we could um, definitely make this happen. Amazing. Thank you for making yourself available for things like that. That's so great. You're welcome. So if people want to find you on social media and connect with you, tell them where they can find you. Yes, definitely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Natasha Pennycook Psychotherapy, on Instagram, Natasha Therapy. There's my website, uh, com. Anything where you put in Natasha Pennycook, uh, you'll find me. Remember, Natasha is spelled with a C, not an S, and then you'll be able to find me. Okay, perfect. And then, of course, for ease, I will put all of that information in the show notes so people can just scroll down and click it easily. Natasha, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise and wisdom. I can't thank you enough. You're welcome, Michelle, and thank you for having me. So that was my interview with Natasha. If you resonated with her message, please be sure to find and follow her. And of course, reach out if you want to work with her. I'll link all of that up in the show notes. That's it for me today. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapley.com and click on work with me in the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.